podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. Hello folks and welcome to yet another episode of the Darker Days Podcast, episode number 18. We're getting up there in the numbers and I'm joined tonight by Mark as usual. Mark, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Vince. How are you doing? Great. We're starting off the show with a good beat, a little Alice Cooper there for you. A little bit of new music there, Vince. Yeah, yeah pretty cool. You know, playing around with the sounds. Oh, and that's right, we do have Chuck Wendig. Greetings and <laughs> salutations, you mad bastards. Welcome aboard, Chuck. Good to have you here. It's good to be back, gentlemen. Good to be back. Outstanding. Well, this is to be your uh, third guest appearance that we've paid, I mean, asked you to come on the show for. <laughs> Pay, that's cute. <laughs> Checks the mail. Yes. Didn't I don't know you... what the hell's wrong with you. You keep asking me back. That's a mistake on your part, I think, but hey. <laughs> well, you know, we'd like to torture you. I appreciate that. It's all, you know. Anyway, Mark, run a reach down in that mailbag and tell us what we got this week. Yes, we have almost two mails this week, um, and it comes from Curin, uh, and he sent us a great mail with props for the show and questions about podcasting, and I saw at the forums that he's looking to start up his own podcast, so that's really cool, uh, and that's it. That's it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, although we are up to 93 fans on Facebook, which is awesome, almost at the Magic 100, uh, so that's pretty good. Ah, but you didn't look, we have 94. Do we? Oh no, <laughs> in the last 20 minutes. Swine. So delete him. <laughs> delete him. No, Mark. Another couple more we get. We'll be at 100 and we'll get our goal of having Facebook.com slash Darker Days. That'd be good fun. Loads of fun. So once yes, and we've had a whole bunch of new members at the forums as well. I just want to give shout outs to them. Um, the Tickle Monster. Uh, I love that name. Uh, Ghost, Senex, Ravenshaw, David, Exhominem, Lilium Nocturne, Curin, Mirascape, Dwight, Roken, Zadist, and a couple of suspicious-looking characters by the names of Terrible Minds and Jess Hartley. I don't know who that would be. No, no, uh, keep an eye on no. them. Yeah, dodgy. Very people. questionable, very questionable. Especially that Terrible Minds person. Yeah, get, get away from that. Just delete that person. Yeah, don't have him on the show. <laughs> Jesus. No, no. Shh. Anyway, <laughs> let's head over into the network news. WGPRN News In-Depth As you heard the bumper said, In-Depth, so Mark, get into it. Well, <laughs> the guys over at Mirage Arcana have been busy. They're celebrating all things D&D this month, and they've had two new episodes out. Number five covers Ravenloft, fantastic setting, Ooh. and uh, horror gaming, so hooray for Ravenloft. And episode six covers religion and the Forgotten Realms, really fantastic stuff. So give it a listen if you haven't already, and that can be found at miragearcana.podbean.com. Zorlak has released another episode of the Exalted Podcast. You can check out episode four of that at exaltedpodcast.podbean.com. And we've been joined by yet another podcast on WGPRN. Last episode, it was The Hidden Grid. This week, it's the turn of A Swing and a Miss to get on board. Swing and a Miss covers all sorts of games and gaming-related topics, including some neat actual play examples. So let's give them a big WGPRN welcome and check out the show at swingandamiss.net. So that's like now six podcasts on the network. Well, seven if you count those jerks over on the Darkling. Uh, fantastic to see the network growing so fast. Really cool. Yeah, those jerks. Those jerks that interview Monty Cook and don't come back. Losers. Yeah, really. 
<laughs> so we're we're growing, and if you want to get your podcast on the network and it doesn't suck, just give us an email and uh, we'll consider it. We have a woman in charge of all that because just like real life, women are in charge. So <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, Chuck. You laugh. No, no, huh? no that's good. I like that. It's true. <laughs> Don't let them hear that though. They they get cocky. Yeah. So um, in White Wolf news, we have two releases this week, Mark. Right. Yeah, and first up is another PDF for Exalted, uh, Debris from the Fallen Races. That's a collection of material that was cut from the scroll of the Fallen Races. And that includes five martial arts styles for Dragon Kings, chaos pattern charms, and statistics for subterranean creatures. Uh, But there's also a new SAS adventure out for Vampire the Rock game, right, Vince? No. Oh, damn. (laughs) Wow. Just negatory. Just negative. Well, it, 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 it's, a, it's, it's a nice PDF, and uh, I think it's really shiny, and uh, they really did a good job on it. So Yeah, it's called Pater Familias, <laughs> and it's for the rec- Requiem for Rome setting. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Um, it also contains a new hunter group, as well as errata for Requiem for Rome and Fall of the Camarilla, so it's worth checking out for that alone. Oh, what was that big announcement they had about the Grand Masquerade? Grand Masquerade, yeah, big news from White Wolf this week. Um, it's a gala World of Darkness convention, which is being held in New Orleans from September the 23rd to the 26th at the Roosevelt Hotel. It's going to be a celebration of all things World of Darknessy, past and present, and also promises a glimpse of the World of Darkness's future. <laughs> More teasing from the wolf. Uh, sounds awesome, though. Yeah, it does sound awesome, but I looked at you. Tr- you, you, you going to go to that, Chuck? I, w- I want to. They should send me. From they your should. lips to Eddie Webb's ears. Yeah, don't you know, don't don't get that close to Eddie Webb's ears. That's all I'm saying. I just I who guess knows what's in there. Been there, done that. Right, we've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> no, haven't we? No, not according to the pictures I've seen on the internet, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> they lie. Photoshop. Photoshop. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd like to go. It sounds awesome, um, but you know, that probably would cost me money to go there. Yeah, and uh, I'm a writer, so. Money, writer, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was looking at your notes at first, Mark, and I thought that said World of Disney. And then I looked at it really quick. <laughs> That's the future of the World of Darkness. You weren't supposed to leak it. Aww. Yeah, it's too late now. <laughs> Mickey Mouse the Killing? I don't know. <laughs> I would play that game, by the way. Just I just say that right now. Just Mickey letting us know. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, whatever. So we'll get... <laughs> Chuck's... Uh, Whatever aside here, so let's move on to the secret frequency here. So what do we have this week? Okay, folks. Oh, damn, we did it again. (laughs) We do that every week. (laughs) (laughs) Wap, wap, wah. All right, take two. Boop. Secret frequency this week is the Dropa Stones. Um... The story begins with Chi Pu Tei, a professor of archaeology at Beijing University. Now, he and his students were on an expedition to explore a series of caves in the Himalayas. They found the caves particularly interesting because they seemed to have been artificially carved to be a system of tunnels and underground storerooms. The walls were squared and glazed, as if cut into the mountain with great heat. They found many neat rows of tombs in the caves, with short skeletons, you know, just over four foot high, uh, buried within. Now, these skeletons had abnormally big heads and small, thin, fragile bodies. There were no epitaphs at the graves, but instead hundreds of one-foot-wide stone discs, the so-called dropa stones, with little holes in the center of each disc. On the walls were carved pictures of the rising sun, moon, 
stars, the land, mountains, and lines of peace-sized dots connecting the Earth with the sky. Along with the disks, these cave drawings were determined to have been about 12,000 years old. Now, each stone disk was reportedly inscribed with two fine grooves spiraling from the edge to the hole in the disk's center. And when the disks were closely examined, each groove was found to consist of a series of tiny hieroglyphics of unknown pattern and origin. The rows of hieroglyphics were so small that a magnifying glass was needed to see them clearly. Many of the hieroglyphics had been worn away by erosion. And when deciphered, the symbols told the story of the crash landing of a Dropa spaceship and the killing of most of the survivors of the crash by the local people, a local tribe. One of the lines of the hieroglyphs reads, The Dropas came down from the clouds in their aircraft. Our men, women, and children hid in the caves ten times before sunrise. When at last they understood the sign language of the Dropas, they realized that the newcomers had peaceful intentions. Of course, by then it was too late. Another section expresses regret by a local tribe that the alien's craft had crash-landed in such a remote and inaccessible mountain range, and that there had been no way to bu for building a new one to enable the Dropas to return to their own planet. What's more, when these discs of space placed on a special turntable, they vibrate or hum in an unusual rhythm as though an electric charge is passing through them. At some time, examinations reveal they've clearly been exposed to extraordinarily high voltages. One scientist thought that they seemed like ancient hard disks, spinning like the hard disks we have nowadays. And perhaps if we could read these ancient hard disks, we would find more answers. Local legends, supposedly still preserved in the area, speak of small, gaunt, yellow-faced men who came from the clouds long, long ago. The men had huge, bulging heads and puny bodies, and were so ugly and repellent they were shunned by everyone. Men with the quick horses hunted down the ugly dwarfs. And strangely, the description of the invaders is said to match that of the skeletons originally discovered in the caves. So, ancient aliens visit the Earth. Hardly a new concept. No. Uh, what's cool about this, though, is that the aliens don't end up as god kings or founding religions or genetically manipulating humans or anything like that. Or chased by instead, instead, they're just hunted down and killed by the locals, who later feel really bad about what they've done, and give them respectful burials. So you can use this in your game in a number of ways. Now, the timing of the events, somewhere around 10,000 BC, ties into a number of Atlantis myths, which makes it a good source of ideas for Mage of the Awakening, Vampire the Masquerade, and any other game that uses similar myths of a primordial civilization, a flood and a fall. You could have the Dropa be refugees from the fall of the Atlantean civilization, complete with ancient technologies like crystal and stone hard drives. Or, if you're a vampire player, storyteller, you could make them be some kind of debased ghouls fleeing the destruction of Enoch, whose use of auspex allows them to record their lore and hieroglyphs too small for the naked eye to read. Or instead make them be umbrewed from a distant umbral realm who've crossed into the material plane where they find themselves weak and vulnerable and fatally so. So what other information might be contained on these stone discs? Ancient rotes? Descriptions of where to find the ruins of Enoch? Or the true names of the second generation? Lore on ancient moon bridges that lead back through the umbra to the Dropa's lost homeland? Instructions on how to rebuild Dropa devices? The technology to do so only being available in the modern era? or instructions on how to make a rescue beacon, uh, like Dropa Phone Home. And what if other Dropa are still surviving somewhere up in the Himalayas? What might they be like after all these millennia? Imagine a remote Tibetan monastery built up around a solitary Dropa that's been slumbering for all these ages, occasionally mumbling instructions or prophecies to the monks who tend him. 
or what if making one of the devices described on the stones only draws the attention of other Dropa, who send a rescue team to find their lost countrymen? Maybe it hasn't been 12,000 years for them. Maybe it's only been a few weeks. And how would they react to the discovery that their friends had been slaughtered by these cruel and primitive humans? Humans. And... Human. And finally, for a really enjoyable twist, have the Dropa Stones be a manifestation of the Prince of 100,000 Leaves. So translating their message only increases the chance of further infection by the red word into our timeline. And in such a case, the player characters will be working hard to prevent further translation of the stones by whatever means possible. That was your one-liner for the end? That's it. That's my one-liner of this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> if you have a better one-liner than Mark, please email us at Mark. <laughs> Darker Days Radio at gmail.com yeah I, I read Phil Wheatley's email also so. you did he saw he <laughs> told me I had to put a long pause in the yeah, episode thanks Phil <laughs> I saw that <laughs> so that'll end the secret frequency this week uh, Chuck you have any ideas to build upon that or oh uh, well you know I'm gonna go all the way back to what a surprise Hunter the Vigil <laughs> the game I developed what a surprise uh, no there are some good hooks there um, Aegis Kaidoro you know if you want to go to that whole Atlantis myth, primordial race kind of a thing that these Drupa stones are artifacts, obviously relics that the Aegis Kaidora would use, you know, what um, you know, we posit in, in earlier books that hey, okay, maybe, you know, some of their the Aegis Kaidoru uh, hunter cells, what they want to do is they want to find out about the past and they keep these artifacts and they keep these records and they might just be these Aegis Kaidora records um, so that's Ooh. one option uh, I do see that there's a sun god connection here, you know, between aliens and these little golden discs and stuff, so maybe there's sun gods that come down, which kind of maybe just a little bit suggests to me Summer Court with Changeling, the Lost, right? Uh-huh. Um, especially since these little mutant aliens, big heads, little bodies could be fey. I mean, that makes sense, right? They don't necessarily have to be aliens. They could be um, from a different plane of existence as opposed to a different world. Absolutely. It's a bit Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, that's it. I'm done. I'm no. done. <laughs> you're you're spent. Okay. Yeah, you paid me too much already. <laughs> Shh. And uh, we don't want to tell any web that because then he's going to want money. I know. Or someone to lick his ears again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. Um, what I was going to say, this would be perfect. Actually, like I, I was joking, I said followed by Mulder. But if you want to play a Mortals game, this would be perfect to do your own like version of the X Files for. Yeah, it's really got that written all over, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Especially, you know, you got to break into a museum and find the uh, where the, the stones are kept, steal them out from under the noses of uh, those who'd rather you didn't. Yeah, good stuff. Those who, yeah. So we're going to move on, and if you have any questions, you can email us, darkerdaysradio.gmail.com, or you can visit us as, ah, bro. Yeah, that too. Visit us at the website, darkerdays.tk, while gamesproductions.com is our forums. Or join us on Facebook, and you can listen to past shows and all that jazz. So that'll bring us into our feature tonight, Mark. Madness. Yes, madness, Malkavians and Malkovians. Um, it's been requested a few times. We're finally getting around to it. Uh, a little feature here for you on incorporating and playing the much maligned vampire crazies in your games, be they Masquerade or Requiem. So Malkavians uh, or Malkovians, who are they? Um, Right. Malkavians were an insane vampire clan from Masquerade. And when the World of Darkness was rebooted and Vampire the Masquerade was replaced with Vampire the Requiem, they were renamed 
cunningly Malkovians, who were then, instead of being a clan, they were a bloodline of the Ventru clan. How clever. Uh, it confused me completely. I <laughs> yeah. didn't know what they were talking about to begin with. Um, plenty of similarities between the two, though. You can cross-pollinate one with the other and use ideas from both in your games, whichever version of vampire you play. So, first up, why are they mad? They listen to What's the show? Like- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But The Malkavians, according to the the classic legend, are cursed by Cain, along with all the other antediluvians. Um, This is the most common story, and it ties in nicely with the concept of vampirism as a cursed condition. Uh, You could use this in Requiem, for example, as an alternate origin, have the clan be derived from a Ventru who was cursed by some powerful entity, or a mage, or ancient vampire elder, a fae, something like that. Masquerade has some interesting alternate origins for the Malkavian condition, that the Malkavian progenitor was a fallen angel driven mad by the mundane world, or that he was connected to the Fae and thus filled with ancient wild madness. One of the coolest, though, is the idea that the Malkavians have glimpsed reality in all its infinite complexity. They've ceased to filter out the world around them and can see the hidden possibilities inherent in the universe. Taking all this in at once, however, has driven them mad. This is cool because it portrays vampirism as an exalted state, almost like a perverted version of the Mage's Awakening. And for New World of Darkness games, it riffs nicely off the idea of the lie from Mage of the Awakening. You could have Malkovians be descended from a vampire who was once a mage, whose awakening was destroyed and turned into madness by the embrace. And turning the tide the other way, you can also use Requiem's origin story in Masquerade. Requiem's Malkovians descend from the embrace of a mysterious lunatic in Broadmoor Asylum. The embrace infected the feeding vampire with his victim's insanity, which he's since passed on to his childer. <laughs> so maybe you want to use this in Masquerade and make Malkavians a more recent development instead of one of the 13 clans. Make them a bloodline like in Requiem. Perhaps they exemplify a disease that's spreading throughout kindred society or through the vinculum. Yeah. I always thought that was a typo between the two of them when I first saw the book. Really? Yeah, the two of the names. I was like, is that a typo? Eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Um, so, madness. Yeah, how, how are you going to portray madness in your game? How are you going to convincingly bring across the fact that you're playing a, a vampire who's a lunatic? Um, well, every Malkavian needs a fish to slap his companions with, and that's really all there is to it. So get a fish, and, and away you go. That's not really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go there, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, okay. Um, one, one line of inspiration you could take is by looking at examples of real-world madness. Malkavians and Malkovians both have derangements, so you could try researching a real-world version of these derangements and use it in play. Uh, not the same as running around with a teddy bear or slapping people with a fish. Um, mental illness is unpleasant uh, at, the, at best, so this is a good way to inject some of that distress into your character or, or NPC. You know what a really good way of it is? And I, I did this in one of my hunter games. Was One of my hunters was going nuts. I kept handing them pieces of paper with things like, this person's looking at you, or this is what you hear. Or I had players like cool. write notes to him on purpose about certain things, and then they'd be like, I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to do it because it subverts reality a little bit and yeah. plays with expectation. That's nice. I like that. I think yeah, it's cool. five. Woo! Okay. <laughs> um... Yeah, another option is to take uh, the angle of awakened insight, and this ties back to the alternate origin myth of Malkavians seeing the universe in all its infinite complexity. You could have your Malkavian come across as a, some kind of tripped-out guru or an obsessed magician, 
And, you know, if you're going to take this angle, you don't need to limit yourself to canonical cosmology. Maybe the Malkavian in question has seen beyond that. You can devise your own cosmology and system of belief and play according to that. And maybe the more dissonant it is from the understood and accepted cosmology in the game, the better. It'll reinforce the fact that this guy is really coming from left field. Uh, you could portray the character's madness as some kind of religious belief. And again, related to the idea of awakened insight, you could take the Malkavian or Malkovian's perceptions of the universe and say they've given rise to religious conviction or religious fanaticism. The uh, vampire might think he's seen the face of God or some other being, and now he tries to live in harmony with that vision. Maybe he thinks he gets visions and prophecies from a higher power and lives according to these and tries to get others to do the same. Uh, finally, there's, there's also the, pro the uh, potential of pranking. Now, um, pranking was a feature of Malkavians in Masquerade, and it led to some unfortunate stereotypes. The idea was that Malkavians would go around playing elaborate and sometimes dangerous practical jokes on other people. Um, but if you take a little bit away from that and look at the concept of pranking as a way to force awareness on others, you can lie, tie it back into uh, myths of trickster gods who would play tricks on people as a way to teach them valuable lessons. And if you want to use pranking with your Malkavian, try taking this approach. Devise tricks and pranks that will show those around you the wisdom that only you possess. Uh, force them to confront their weaknesses or their pride or their failings, etc. Or just slap them with a fish. No, that always works too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's look at some story hooks then. Some ways to... Uh, take the Malkavian or Malkovian vampire and plug it right into your game to build a little story around it. Well, we mentioned the idea of a disease, a madness disease. Mm. This works really well if you have the Malkovians uh, be a recent development. Rule that the disease has entered vampire society somehow and is spreading through things like blood bonds, through sabat vinculum, canine rituals, and stuff like that. Have a player character become infected uh, and then they have to race to find a cure. And if no cure can be found, well, what do you do? Do you contain the disease? Do you kill the infected? Confine them to an asylum? Um, seal them up on a vault like, uh, like the Cappadocians? Slap with a fish. This is also good. Um, prophecies. Uh, Malkavian prophecies. Introduce those into your game. This works with the idea of Malkavians as having some kind of special insight or religious belief. You can have a cabal of them uttering prophecies that relate to the game or the larger plots that you're developing. Have someone try to silence them. They then go into hiding and have to be found, or the characters have to spirit them away to safety. And what about the source of their prophecies? What if these are coming from another more powerful vampire? What if he's manipulating this cabal of Malkavians through telepathic powers into spreading these prophecies? There's also the option of having a Malkavian or Malkovian serial killer. It's a riff on a classic concept. Hannibal Lecter is a vampire. Um, but you can have a terrifying and brutal Malkavian stalking and killing other vampires or their friends and allies. The player characters need to stop him. Uh, maybe they need to get all silence of the lambs on him and talk to another Malkavian seeking his advice. Uh, they could, of course, then have trouble communicating with another mad vampire, which makes for uh, all the more fun. Mm. And uh, this ties into an idea of a Malkavian who knows something vital but is too mad to communicate it either information on finding a serial killer or some other piece of lore or information or MacGuffin that you want to use in your game. This can be used in conjunction with a disease plot hook. Maybe a vampire had crucial information has since become infected and the player characters have to find a way to communicate with him and learn what he knows. This can allow you to use the masquerade idea of the Malkavian Madness Network, which is a sort of 
telepathic underground network that all Malkavians could tap into. Some thought it was all that remained of their antediluvian progenitor, who had diffused himself into the minds of his offspring. Player characters might have to enter that mental landscape somehow. So a movie like The Cell can be a great source of inspiration for this kind of game. And finally, let's look at a handful of concepts for Malkavian player characters or non-player characters, some of them inspired by some of the material of suggestion so far. Well, we've mentioned the Malkavian priest or oracle. You could have a character who is known, famous in vampire society, visited by everyone around for his wisdom and his insights and his prophecies. It could be solitary or part of a cult or cabal. You could have your player character be a member of such a group, but has now been exiled, or his group has been wiped out by those who want to suppress the cult's secrets, and your character is now on the run. You mentioned the idea of a, of a murderer or a serial killer. Now, this makes for a great antagonist, but for a darker angle, you could have your character be such a figure, take inspiration from things like uh, Dexter or American Psycho or Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Kind of grim and nasty, but it might work for some games. Um, there's the classic trope of the Malkavian asylum owner, uh, a Malkavian who has an asylum to prey on the inmates. Uh, this works quite well with the uh, Requiem uh, Malkovian origin story, which starts off in Broadmoor Asylum. But what if the Malkovian in question runs an asylum for other vampires? So as opposed to being a place where the vampire is feeding on humans, uh, you can have powerful vampires send their enemies here to be incarcerated. You can have a player character who is a former inmate or escapee. And uh, finally, you could have a Malkavian hunter, his madness compels him to hunt other vampires. That's probably better as an antagonist, but it could be interesting trying to track down a hunter who knows vampires so well because he is one. Uh, but if you're in a crossover game, this could provide for good motivation for a vampire to work with non-vampires. And it's always particularly amusing if the Malkavian in question doesn't believe that he's a vampire himself. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, so there you go. Malkavians and Malkovians, a handful of ways to plug them into your game and uh, see where the madness takes you. This is madness. No, this is Sparta. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Anyway, uh, I had a, a good example of uh, a mad... Some, one of the campaigns I was playing at the, the local con here that happens every couple of months was Chuck's going to this year because I'm forcing him to. And <laughs> so that's that gun at my temple. I was wondering what that was. Yeah, well, no, uh, the guy who's running, uh, he's running Vampire the Masquerade, and he had uh, called Freak Shows his character. It was a Malkavian, and every time he showed up, he was floating in the middle of the air on an imaginary bus, and he kept saying, "Get on the bus, get on the bus," and we were like, "Yeah, you're nuts, you're nuts." Finally, one of the characters goes, "I get on the bus and sit down." He's like, "Okay," and he's like, "The character starts going." And he started moving forward, and we've no idea how he managed to do all this. But Whoa. hey, your imagination is uh, whatever it is. <laughs> that awesome. was three. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. It's yeah. a beautiful story. No, it, does, it doesn't top the story I said the last time with the munching on the babies and everything. But you know. no, we don't have. We haven't gotten to the baby eating yet. No, no. That's pretty hard to top, though. Yeah, I, I try, but you know, the box of infinite babies—that's quite good. It's all downhill from here, by the way. After that, after the baby, you know, munching. That's it's it. Never gonna, show can't really ever achieve no. that. <laughs> Aha, if you're just tuning into this episode for the first time and no, no idea what we're talking about, too bad. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Refer back to an earlier episode with Chuck on it and Eddie. Uh, I believe it was episode number 13, right, Mark? Yes, the monstrous episode 13. That was a very fun episode. Uh, for the story, uh, Storyteller, I believe that one was entitled. Yes, indeed. Okay, well, that's that and that's everything. So let's move on to our final segment of the night before we get to our questions for Chuck and uh, 
World of Darkness 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. We got Night Horrors. I wonder who wrote that. I don't know one I know. Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of jerks, probably. <laughs> Damn those yeah, freelancers. Night Horrors the Unbidden. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. I think it's a great book, don't you? I think it's good. So it's a source book to, uh, for Mage the Awakening and the Night Horrors line. And it uh, contains antagonists, threats, and horror-based creepiness for your mage game. And players of Mage the Ascension will also find plenty here that they can use. So uh, don't touch that dial. And I will hit you with a little review right about now. You should have been real happy, Mark. It was great. I was, <laughs> this, this thing blew me away. It really did. <laughs> uh, well, it starts off, as you might expect... Um, few pages of, uh, of intro fiction, um, <clears throat> which I didn't read, and uh, an introduction that sets the tone really well. Uh, unpredictability, danger, and horror inherent in magic, and it includes a totally cool discussion about cats that's freakish enough even without magic. That just really weirded me out. Um, yeah, the body of the book is in five parts, five different types of antagonists, lavish with details, hooks, backgrounds, the works. Sections are mages, characters and creatures, Constructs and objects, conditions and infections, and places. Ooh. So, mages. Um, that's exactly what it says on the tin. A collection of, uh, of mages, of antagonist mages. Uh, you've got a young abyssal mage with an abusive past who stars himself as an evangelical preacher. He's a great character. It uh, becomes even better when it's tied in with the next entry, which is his right-hand man, who thinks that this preacher will be hailed as a messiah and is secretly building an army of cultists. He's keeping them secret from the preacher boy, and he's also keeping secret the fact that he doesn't really believe any of the preacher's pronouncements either. He's just in it for the power. We've also got their cabal mates, light on stats, but with key abilities nicely called out. There's also some cool crunch in this section, um, some new Celesti legacy attainments, suggestions on handling evangelism from a mechanical angle. Uh, other than those, we've also got a serial rapist who's trying to ensure the survival of his magical bloodline, a ghostly mage dead for a thousand years who dared to dangle with the Tremere liches and paid an awful price as a result. The next section, Characters and Creatures, holds a variety of people and entities. None of them mages, although some of them could have been. Uh, some flesh, some spirit, all wondrous. Got an Atlantean sentinel spirit that's happy to serve modern mages but cursed to turn them on each other. There's the Fury, who is just awesome, a vengeful Ananke, who cannot correctly process information about the world around her, yet is unaware that she has this problem. So she can't really tell exactly what she's doing and just hones in on concentrations of fate and destiny. There's the Gnomon, a freakish construct that only wants to help mages understand magic, yet drives those that it helps insane instead. And if you kill it, it's just reborn in a secret room that exists outside of time. Uh, awesome idea. Uh, this section also features the Lucid, an extended family of sleepwalker witch hunters, a couple of entries that detail the byblows of an awesome feud between a Nazi mage and a Soviet rival, a deeply creepy New Orleans voodoo priestess who eats magic, a messenger of fate who delivers prophecies of hardship to destroy the lives of those whom it deems unheroic, a traitor's familiar spirit, trio of sleeper acolytes whose exposure to vulgar magic has changed them into freakish skinless monsters, and a really neat type of spirit crow that feeds on soul stones, which I'm going to be using in my game right away. Um, next section, constructs and objects. Now, there's some truly imaginative work in this chapter. Uh, it takes some doing to make objects horrific, but uh, uh, yeah, the writer's really nailed it on this one. 
It opens with a dismembered Atlantean war machine, uh, like a tower made from body parts that's been broken into 50 pieces and hidden across the globe, and continues in a similar vein with a trio of wicked devices made by a mad clockmaker. It's kind of an outrageous combination of Hellraiser, Chucky, and the wardrobe from Narnia. (laughs) (laughs) That's an odd combination. It's, out, it's outrageous. Uh, there's also something even worse than that made by someone who found his blueprints. <laughs> mm. I like this woman who replaced her brain with a clockwork brain. It's just really, really, really cool. Um, we've also got a fragment of an Archmage's soul that's been manipulating mages for millennia. There's a really spooky cell phone that sends unnerving text to its owner because it feeds on fear. Kind of like those notes that you were talking about sending in-game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this cell phone sends its owner text from an unknown address. And the, the, exactly that kind of thing. Don't go to the bar tonight. They want to get you. They've killed Josh, this kind of stuff. And, you know, they're only designed to, to, to freak out the owner of the phone. Oh, uh, which like, like that really bad movie. Uh, was there a movie like this? I didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, I can't think of the name offhand. Sorry. Okay. I love um, other, yeah. What? A possessed axe that likes to kill mages. Atlantean guardian golems that hold the dreams of ancient dragons. And, uh, coolest of all, a cursed D20 that predates modern civilization. <laughs> it's users to release what's bound inside. <laughs> that's really cool. One missed call. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, Didn't there see. you go. Uh, um... Penultimate section, uh, conditions and infections. If the previous sections weren't creepy enough, here it starts to get really weird. Uh, You have this thing called an abyssal imprint, which are kind of like paradox manifestations, but they affect sleepers connected to the mage who caused them and then use this host against the mage. Very nice. There's a really nasty thing called a false awakening with an utterly hilarious backstory. You've got to read that to check that out. That spreads like a disease among sleepers, causing them to awaken to fake watchtowers and ultimately forcing them to destroy themselves. There's a totally cool exarch whose mind tried to return from the supernal to the fallen world and was torn apart by the experience, and it's now fragmented, trying to rebuild itself and trying to remember precisely why it left the supernal in the first place. Similar to this, uh, there's a legacy that's actually lost a lost consciousness from the dream time that's busy infecting mages, not out of any malicious intent, but just out of a desire to survive. Now, with locations, the book wraps with a trio of locations that are utterly bizarre opens with an apartment complex whose occupants are linked together like a kind of magical computer and used to plumb the astral realms while they sleep. Um, This is followed up by a ring of standing stones that lure people into their circle and then crush them into a pulp. (laughs) And finally, there's a deeply strange town that's like a kind of dark reflection of 1950s America with inhabitants who range from the obsessive to the murderous. Now, having read all those sections, uh, the book's got one major flaw and it's pretty impossible to work around. Uh, simply put, there's too much awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how the hell am I supposed to use all of this stuff? You know, when looking through it, I tried hard to think of elements that I really wouldn't like to use in-game. Uh, couldn't think of a single one. You know, I haven't seen so many useful things all crammed into the same place in one time. Much like recent mage releases, uh, like Summoners and Astral Realms, this one really hits the ball out of the park. Okay, so from a certain perspective, though, the high awesome content is a problem because, you know, you're paying full price for a full-size book and you're going to struggle to get all of this into your game yeah i'm complaining about a book being too good i mean how lame is that um yeah but thankfully the developers have not overlooked this point so most of the entries in the opening chapter on mages for example tie into one another presenting the various faces of a cabal um other entries uh, the luden sisters and michael wexler are connected uh, as are four of the nine constructs There are also five different entries scattered across the book, all of which tie into the fall of Atlantis. So you'll find correspondence is easy to create there, 
So the idea being, if you're going to use one of these, it immediately opens up the option for you to use three or four more right away. So you're actually getting increased mileage out of the book, as it were. It's not just a sort of hodgepodge collection of, uh, of cool things. They've kind of been nicely woven in together. The Atlantis element is fairly prevalent, um, you know, which has not always been the case in all mage books. It's more present in some books than others. And if you're one of those players who doesn't like Atlantis, however, don't worry. Um, you'll actually find it really easy to modify the background of these Atlantean elements into something else, because the Atlantean aspect is never more than backstory. And this applies just as much to players of Mage the Ascension, uh, like me, who are looking for a good source of ideas for their Ascension games. The stuff in Unbidden is so loosely tied to the Awakening setting that things like the Pentacle Orders are only really mentioned in passing. Much more important are the individual histories and motivations of the entries, and these are so striking that they can transfer over from one game line to the other with ease. Uh, and this holds true for other New World of Darkness games too. If you're a player of Hunter, or if you use Second Sight for your characters, or if you're a werewolf storyteller looking for some new beasties for your chronicle, uh, the Unbidden is well worth the 20 bucks it costs to get the PDF, or a 21 bucks and change to grab a card copy from Amazon. Um, the writing is good, it's evocative, it's not overwrought. Uh, the mechanics are light where needed, which is most of the book, and fleshed out fully where appropriate. The artwork is decent. There's no real standout pieces apart from the cover, which shows, I think it's the Fury, uh, looking pretty menacing. Very nice. And the layout is excellent. Um, clean, readable. Uh, some of the early mage books, the core book noticeably, the layout was a bit skewy in places, but here it's, it's crisp, it's uncluttered, extremely useful. So, yeah, overall, I'm highly impressed. Um, I bought the PDF, but I really rather fancy a hard copy now as well. And I'm extremely picky about which Awakening Hard covers I shell out for. So, yeah, uh, high marks from me. I'm going to give this a solid nine. Um, with some slightly more evocative jaw-dropping art, I would have gone for the, for the perfect ten. But uh, good stuff all around. Outstanding. Hmm. So, Chuck, which, which bits did you write in this? Well, I wrote all of it. <laughs> no, I wish I yeah, wish they, I did because they're just they're just spell checkers. Yeah, they're there. They were all just sometimes they contribute a word like the or very. <laughs> like, yeah, it was good. Thanks for your contribution. I'm just gonna rock the rest of this thing now. Uh, no, everybody really who turned in some awesome stuff there, um, like Philomena and David with all their clockwork stuff. Um, I wrote the um, uh, Deacon Thrush and uh, the Golden Quorum stuff, the Celesti stuff in the beginning, which you said, oh, okay. if I recall, you really liked. <laughs> I did. That was really cool. Right, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah so um, so I, I contributed that on the at the behest of uh, Matt McFarland, always a wonderful developer. And mm -hmm. so, good stuff, man. Cool. I, I, think, I think I saw an actual play from him where he was using uh, the Voodoo Priestess um, uh, forgotten a name now um the, the the magic eater he was using that in one of his own games i read through the actual play uh, but before blood before unbidden came out so it was cool to see yes her, uh, he will do that whenever a book comes his way um that he's developed or that he's written for he will always try to put those things into play um both mm -hmm. to, to see how they how they work um but also just to get them uh you know to get them into the fun zone <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. well the, the whole the fun whole zone. the the Deacon Thrush stuff and the the the, the preacher boy—that's the first stuff that I was reading. And I'm, you know, uh, I was refreshing the book today, uh, going over and making notes, and I found myself just reading that page by page, really slowing down. I thought, well, I've only got a couple of hours to do this. I need to kind of speed it up. But yeah, draws you right in, uh, and I like the way that it, it plays with expectations. Um, there's different, you know, 
there's different levels of belief and different levels of commitment on the part of the people involved. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's all really important, right? To to mess with people's perceptions and to, yeah. to sort of uh, switch it up a little bit as to what you can get because there's so many different variables and options, and I don't, you know, there's no reason not to give people as much uh, variety as possible. Yeah, yeah. And just the image of Deacon Thrush is this this enormous slab of a man, kind of <laughs> squeezed yeah. into a perfect little suit. <laughs> yeah, a, hu- a human wall in a suit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> excellent. That's right. good stuff. Cool. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back after this. Darker Days Radio, only on WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. You are in the dark, cold dungeon. You see a wooden door in front of you. I open the door. The door is locked. Fine. Then I unlock the door. You have unlocked the door. Okay, now I open the door. The wooden door creaks open and there, standing in the hallway, is a goblin. Finally, something to fight. I fire an arrow at it. The goblin eats your arrow. Um, I throw a rock at it. The goblin eats the rock. How about I just punch the thing? The goblin bites your fist. You take two points of damage. Ow! I cast magic missile! The goblin cries out in pain and the body crumples to the floor. Loot the body! You discover a piece of parchment. Unraveling it, a voice emanates from it. For more things to throw at goblins, visit swinginamiss.net. Listen to our actual plays at swinginamiss.net. And now, back to Dark Days Radio with your two hosts, Vince and Mark. Only on WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. Okay, and we're back, folks. Uh, we're going to move into our That's, last segment. That was today. fantastic. <laughs> I loved it. Was. Yeah. I like the nerdy voice. That was really good. So let's head into our questions tonight. Uh, first question is, Chuck, are you having a good time? A, a lovely time. I like the uh, sandwiches you've given me and the big stack of money. I'm rolling around in the money right now. Do you hear it? It's the sound of my naked body on money. What are we talking about? Who are you people? Sorry, Sorry I just zoned, zoned out to that image. It's <laughs> quite compelling. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. First question comes from <laughs> Phobos69. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to know, are you involved in any tabletop games currently? Sadly not. No, it's very, it's, it's makes the baby Jesus cry, but no, I'm really not. <laughs> Uh, time has not been kind uh, to me as of lately. Um, I've been very uh, busy. I mean, in a good way, busy, but busy in the way that I don't have as much time to go uh, to go game. So that, that's, that's sad. That's true. You haven't gamed. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So what was your favorite project to work on for White Wolf? Overall, like ever? Ever. Ever. In oh, history. In history. Well, I mean, you know, come on. It's such an easy answer. Uh, <laughs> both the Hunter games, really. <laughs> were it for me they were the two things that you know they like tent pulled you know my work for uh white wolf and uh they both sort of represented different ways of looking at the the monster hunter genre and uh the great thing about you know hunter the vigil is i got to develop it and i got to hire all these great writers and got to do like everything with my heart's content so, like you know pulp and the devil and you know swat teams it was just so much fun like it, it was the best most fun i've ever had working on any game project ever so, do you have any uh, projects that you can talk about while you're on the air with us now, or is everything still hush-hush? Well, there, there, there's one that's hush-hush, but I'm going to talk a little bit about it anyway, because, you know, what do I care? There's, what are they going to do to me? You know? What are they going to do to me for really? They might lick they your ear. 
Yeah, I'm, in, I'm up in Pennsylvania. They're in Georgia. They don't even know where Pennsylvania is. They're all hillbillies <laughs> down there. Um, no, I really can't talk about much. There's one project that's coming up, and I, I suspect it's coming up soon. It's an alternative publishing product, i.e. a PDF with uh, the man, the plan, the Eddie Webb. Uh-oh. And, uh oh. It is a um, it's the it's the craziest thing I've ever written for White Wolf. It will it, it is the it's going to be the awesomest product White Wolf has ever put out. Best product ever. Seriously, it it's cool. There will be no way it would change everything. This is this is definitely going to change the world as we know it. It'll change it changed my world. <laughs> it's like Scientology. It blew my cranium apart. <laughs> just reading the book writing alone. It, just writing it did that to me. So imagine what it's like for everyone else who gets to read it. Huh? Cool. Right. So any any ideas on dates for that or is that just soon? I, I, I'm going to call it within the next two months. I don't know that for sure, but I, I feel okay. like that's true. Uh, and then, you know, sometime soon too is um, Compacts and Conspiracies for Honor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you mentioned that the other time. Good stuff. He wants to know for his final question, uh, what is it like working for White Wolf? Or, you know, is it cool? Does it suck? Uh, it sucks. They hit me a lot, and they, <laughs> and they they whip you, huh? They use a belt with a heavy buckle. Oh man! That so- says something about Texas. I don't know. I never get a good look at it because it's always flying. <laughs> you should just look in the mirror for the imprint. I should, but it's it's oh. backwards, and I can't read things backwards. It you know it confuses me. Uh, no, working for White Wolf has always been great. I've always enjoyed it. Um, those guys are pretty much nuts. Uh, in the best way possible, as I'm sure you know, having dealt with people like Eddie and stuff like that. Uh, so it's it's great. They're they're um, a bunch of cool dudes. They have a uh, really open mind about a lot of stuff. They're um, it's great. Cool. Okay, so we want Lost Heretic has a question, and I, I, I want to read this first one, Mark, before you go on with the next one. Uh, I figured you would. Go ahead. <laughs> this is the last time he, what I did to the question. He puts, "Yo, Chuck." <laughs> Do you that's work? It. Yeah. No. That's... <laughs> Yo, back. <laughs> there we go. It was easy. Do you work any other cool stuff that isn't White Wolf? Like, for example, if Wizards of the Coast contacted you or Green Ronin, would you work for them or have you? Or if they're going to pay me, I will work for anybody. Even wow. Yeah, I will do it. No, um, I actually <laughs> am working for another uh, another company at this point, producing a book for them. I think I'm allowed to mention at least that I'm working for them. If not, it's too late. Uh, <laughs> the Alpha Omega game line, I think I'm going to be producing a supplement for them. Well, they should be knocking down your door after hearing this podcast done. That, well, yeah. They'll, with with silenced weapons, they will execute me. Mark, go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lost Heretic also says, Hunter the Reckoning. He says it was an odd game in the old world of darkness because the art and novels and video games didn't necessarily reflect the written material well. Uh, according to him. With Hunter the Vigil, was there a push to make the art and other support materials evoke the mood the writers were creating? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, Mike Cheney was on the um, art direction for uh, Hunter the Vigil, and I put together the art notes for that that book. And putting together the art notes is always a, a fun task because you basically, you know, I don't know if anybody knows how this works or whatever when you're a developer, but you basically go through the, the draft as it's you know the final draft, and you say, okay, this is so cool, it deserves art. And yeah. you know, if you're really you know ballsy, you're just like, this is the kind of art I'd like to see with this. And it's you know, dude kicking down a door, and he's got bees coming out of his face, or whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> you kind of loosely describe you know what might be cool, and then the fun game for me is then getting the book and seeing you know 
or getting the proofs before the book and seeing like how those art notes translated into art. And someone like Mike Cheney or um, you know, God uh, Craig Grant down there, they're they're both um top top shelf uh art direction guys. So they, they really come so, out of the gate and make the stuff marry together with the content. So you wouldn't you you put in the notes and then you wouldn't see it until the art appears in the proofs. You wouldn't actually wouldn't come across your desk the, the, the picture. Oh god no as a freelance developer, no. If I actually worked down there I probably would. Yeah. Um, I mean I, I would get a periodic pieces of art, right? You know, I might get like a JPEG here and there, but not the yeah. full full uh, compass of it, no. Cool. Okay. Um, he also he also says in Old World of Darkness, Hunter the Reckoning had many critics among fans of other game lines. Um, now, how is this issue tackled for Hunter the Vigil? I'm guessing he's you know referring to how how it ties in with with other New World of Darkness game lines. Um, well, the first um, you know first directive was that we are hunting down the critics of Hunter the Reckoning, and we are murdering them. So whenever you, if you just if you find any if you know a name an address an email just just slip it to me or a little, we have, we have a list door. I have yeah. a list and I'm compiling a pogrom and it'll all get taken care of uh, <laughs> no it's um yeah I mean I don't I, I don't even understand exactly the question yeah we, it's, we tried to very much marry it to the rest of the world of darkness but the thing about the the N wad as it were uh, <laughs> that it's very modular it's very toolboxy so it doesn't need to play together. Um, every every piece can be an island, or every piece can be islands with causeways connecting them. I don't really know where that metaphor is going, um, but it can be as connected or as disconnected as you choose. Cool, interesting. We've got a bunch of questions here from Beckett, and uh, I guess uh, dipping into the bucket. Yeah, Vince and I will will uh, will, will split. I'll take I'll take the first half. Vince, how's about that? Sound fair? Um, oh, sure. Why don't we <laughs> skip right to that one question down there that's making me laugh hysterical as I'm reading it. <laughs> is is Eddie Webb really a ghost? <laughs> yes, he's a ghost. It's like the sixth sense. We've, we're just revealing this now, and this is a spoiler warning to anybody who's listening. But Eddie Webb is a ghost. So he has an automatic ghost writer for him, and it's not really Eddie Webb. Yeah, well, actually, he is—he's the ghost writer. That's the joke. He's a, everyone makes yeah. that joke to him. You're like, oh, you're a ghost writer, and you're a ghost. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then he and he cries and wails and thrashes his chains about. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead with the first question, Mark. Okay. Um, what's your favorite novel? Uh, damn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, anything by Robert McCammon, probably either Swan Song or Boy's Life. Swan Song is okay. about to be the best horror novel ever written. So if anybody's looking for the best horror novel ever written, that's it. Swan Song by Robert McCammon. McCammon, I've never read it. I'll have to check that out. So good. So good. Right. So good. Okay. Um, secondly, he wants to know: Has there been any consideration for allowing other game lines uh, to learn hunter tactics? He reckons it seems logical, out of game, that it wouldn't be hard to do if said monster were working with hunters. You aware of anything along those lines? Uh, Swan Song by Robert McCammon. <laughs> What's the question? No, uh, yeah, you could do that, and there, I, you know, I if I could find it right now, I would. Um, well, I can read the link. That'd be ridiculous, but there. At one point on the White Wolf forums, um, I went ahead and addressed in like a small FAQ a number of issues people had with, you know, uh, what do I do with practical experience? If I get to turn to a vampire, what do I do with my tactics and blah, blah, blah. The basic bottom line is, you know, all this stuff about templates and who can learn what and, you know, all these restrictions. Unless you're, you know, facing down a particularly draconian storyteller or some kind of um, LARP situation, yeah. I don't see any reason why monsters can't learn tactics or create their own types of tactics. There is a system in 
God, I want to say it's Rage, a uh, system for pack tactics um, for Werewolf, which is actually kind of what we based the Hunter the Vigil tactics off of. So, I mean, this is all, you know, comes together. In fact, a Werewolf pack is the most logical, probably, you know, exploration of that. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, yes, do it. You, Good. you have my blessing if you need it. <laughs> um, he also wants to know why there has not been a zombie apocalypse book out for Hunter or uh, for any uh, World of Darkness line actually for that matter and he adds for shame well there was The Walking Dead for the Reckoning line there was yes that's very true yes yeah and that book is great um, I love that book isn't that it's isn't that, that go ahead isn't that a freebie it's uh, RPG now Dreath RPG I thought they had The Walking Dead is a freebie now because if you I can. thought they did yeah. yeah not that I remember I'll have to go look at that now yeah, that's a killer book. The fiction in that, which is pretty much three-quarters of the book, as per all the reckoning, was just so tight. I think that's like a Greg Stoltzy thing, and good stuff, good stuff in there. Um, why hasn't there been a zombie the apocalypse game? Um, there hasn't. He just missed it, and we're all holding away from it. It's like monkey in the middle. We're just keeping the book away from him. It's a big joke. Um, so be, it'd be great. I would like to see it, but, uh, you know, there's... Um, it, certainly zombies are hot and it probably would sell crazy well. I'm just not sure what the the angle would be yet. It's hard to get behind playing a zombie. You know, as far as like, okay, we want to fight zombies. Well, there have been zombies in various um, World of Darkness supplements. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to do. They'll even get a mention, I think, in World of Darkness Mirrors coming up. But Oh, oh I can't wait for that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was very excited. That was a fun book to develop. I didn't even know what it is and I can't wait for it. Yeah, I don't think I'm even really allowed to talk about it. I think it's just multiple ways of looking at your World of Darkness. Yeah. Awesome. Multiple ways. It's like the Unearthed Arcana version, maybe? Well, you just break a mirror and look at all the distorted shards, and that's what we're trying to give people. Um, so but as to why there was no game, I don't know. You'd, they'd have to ask um, the secret you know, nine blind oracles that run White Wolf. Oh, did I spill that? Did there Whoops, <laughs> Daisy. Oh, there. there you go. Ninja's on their way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he also says he. I noticed you specialized in religion in North Carolina. Does this come up in any of your gaming or writing, as far as basing ideas of it or aspects that may not have made it into World of Darkness material? Uh, just curious. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I always tackle each book in whatever way it needs to be done, but I, I bring those things that I know and love into it as much as possible. So that is, you know, religion is great. Myth, mythology is so good, right? I mean, yeah. it's just, you, you, Half the time, you don't even need to make stuff up. You're just like, I'm just going to go read mythology and tweak some names. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but no, I, I certainly, I, there's a lot of uh, interesting mythic flavor. Changeling is very good for that. Mage is very good for that. Um, actually, even Werewolf. I mean, Hunter obviously has some some stuff in there, too, with the Aegis Kaidoru and the Lucifer. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, I, I mean, actually, Hunter probably has some of the greatest religious influence because, you know, you have the Long Night, you have the Malleus Maleficarum, um, the Devil Worshippers, uh, the, the, the slightly Muslim-flavored faction. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, finally, before I hand the remainder over to, to, uh, to Vince, yeah. um, he wants to know what you think about uh, vampire in the world of darkness. New, classic, dark ages, um, aliens that say they're vampires, whatever. He just thinks that it seems to be the least written about uh, by you. Is it something that you just, just you happen not to have been assigned it, or you're not so hot on that, or what's, what's the story there? You mean like least contributed? Like that I did the least. Yeah, I think I, I think that's too. what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah like um, man, is that? I don't think that's true at all. I think that okay. is lying. Let me look at my. Uh, uh, I have a look at bibliography here. Right. Let's look at. <laughs> let's look at Vampire the Requiem. Uh, eighteen books. 
that I've written for. Yeah, not too many. That's, <laughs> well, he, no, he expects um, at least a 20, so. I know, and I only worked on 14 World of Darkness books. Eight Forsaken books. Come on, eight? I worked on 18. It's the most, out of all the game lines, I've written more for Requiem than for anything else. So there you go, Beckett. Your, your question has been smacked down, Beckett. Yeah, Beckett, I, I'm on to you selling your lies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I love Vampire the Requiem. Vampire the Requiem is... Um, there was a Twitter discussion the other day um, started, I believe, by Will Hindmarch, one of the um, previous developers of Requiem. And it sort of bounced back and forth to people as to, like, well, what's great about Requiem is everybody okay, has yes. a different favorite book, which proves that the, the game line did a lot for a lot of different people, as opposed to if everybody said, oh, my favorite book is Gangrel, Savage, and Macabre, which it should be because I wrote it, um, <laughs> then, you know, that the rest of the line maybe just wasn't really as robust as it needed to be. But this, you know, I feel like it was a really robust, um, diverse line, you know, between um, the, the Rome books. Damnation City is crazy, crazy powerful. fantastic. Yeah, so good. Um, it got two Night Horrors books, the Ancient Mysteries and Ancient Bloodlines books, the Clan books. There's so much to do with Requiem. Um, and I think they you know, they started off on Requiem on shaky uh, uh, wheels, so to speak, where it's like they kind of were, were cleaving a little too close to Masquerade. But then with the, the parade of supplements after that, they really uh, broke it all down and changed up what you can do with Vampire. But still kept it Vampire. I thought Masquerade often sort of deviated from what vampires actually are. Like, oh, I'm a Malkavian and I have this weird, you know, network of brains. Fish. And it's like, yeah, fish, <laughs> I'm slapping each other with fishes in the world. Uh, so it's like, what does this have to do with vampires again? I mean, madness is there, but, you know, it goes so far outside of it to, to return to the Malkavian topic. It goes so yeah. far outside that that realm of, you know, monsters who are dead, who drink blood, that it becomes almost absurd. Yeah. Fun, but absurd. Cool. Okay, Vince, you want to take it and run the last few of, of uh, questions from the bucket? Uh, sure, let me just reach into that bucket. Um, he wants to know, do you speak, read, and write any other languages? Uh, yes. Uh, aspartame. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Shagoff. I speak Shagoff. <laughs> yeah. Could you, both, could you give fluid. us an example of those? Uh, no, I would destroy you if I spoke those things in tandem. It would be world-ending, and I can't be responsible for that. In fact, you would probably get sued, let's be honest. Uh, no, I, sp I speak and um, write a little German, which, of course, has gotten me into trouble because sometimes I've written some German into these books, and it's been wrong. <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> no, well, I, you know, I, so this, the shame of it is with you know foreign languages and white wolf books, it's always kind of a point of contention because none of us are perfect. Um, speakers of other languages, but sometimes we actually get input from people who speak foreign languages, and it's still wrong enough because there's colloquialisms, or I mean, almost like how English is. I mean, English is a screwed up language, right? You, if someone asks you how to pronounce something or write it, and they put it in a German book, another person from you know North Carolina or from California would be like, "Well, that's kind of a little goofy way to put that," but I mean, it, I guess it works. Uh, so, but anyway, yeah, German a little bit. Okay, cool. I'm not like Wood Ingham, who speaks like I think 47 languages. I'm just making that. <laughs> it's just way too smart for human beings. I like this question. If you could put a little message in a book for fun, you know, not not don't give away your secrets here, but uh, what would it say? <laughs> um, I I'm you know I'm 12 year old, so I'd probably just put a picture of a penis. <laughs> uh, 
and just let that sort of lie that way. No, I, you know, what the hell, I'd put my web address. Might as well get into some sort of cheesy advertising. Like, come to me. Come to me on the web, subliminally. Visit Chuck on the web. That's right. Or, like, drink slurm, you know. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, moving along. Uh, what is your ideal world? I know it's kind of general, but... <laughs> um, healthcare reform. Wait, what, what does that mean, ideal world? Like, I... in... Like an actual perfect world? I guess your perfect world. What would be the Chuck Wendig perfect world? I don't know if that means real life in the game. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Bacon, chocolate, and whiskey. Everything would be made of those things. <laughs> I noticed that you do Twitter about bacon quite a bit. So There's nothing wrong with that, man. No, no, no. You do make a lot of dishes with bacon, though. So Actually, I believe it or not, I don't. I, I sound strange. I, really, I, I don't cook bacon all that often. It's once in a blue moon. Bacon's um, nice. But I do try, you know, if I find bacon in an odd product like chocolate bar, I will try the bacon chocolate bar. Okay, and uh, he also wants to know, was there anything in the Hunter line that White Wolf specifically didn't, that they wanted to avoid or not touch on, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Van Helsing? Um, well, I mean, we avoid pop culture uh, properties in general, like other ones, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not that valuable to try to retread um, thematic ground, and in some cases, possibly legal ground. Um, so, no, not really. Believe it or not, Hunter the Vigil was so was a lot of everything at the wall. You know, we 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 saw an opportunity there that it was. You know, as, as I'm fond of saying, it was pa- like painting with shotguns. <laughs> we we saw an opportunity there to do yeah. a lot of different things in in each book without being constrained to one mood or theme. Um, so we tried to do that. Uh, I mean, obviously, we try not to get too silly with it because that—that's not really all that valuable. Sweet. He also yeah. wants to know uh, <laughs> your <laughs> your favorite place, uh, like a country or a park or a state, or favorite chair to sit in front of when you write or you know think about things. Like, where, where? What do you do? Where do you go? My favorite place, like yeah. in the whole wide world. Yeah. It doesn't uh, have to be writing. Maybe just to go there to think, or just to visit, or. Well, okay, I'll well we'll do two because that's Ooh. like a bunch of different questions. Um, yeah, like to think, I will if I'm in the shower or if I'm mowing the lawn. Those are like any time I can zone out is a good thinking time for me. Um, but if I had to go to another, if I had to go to a place, I might go to Hawaii again because that was I I didn't think I'd like Hawaii. I actually thought I was going to hate it, but it was uh like a uh, I don't want to say life changing. That's a little dramatic, but perspective changing. Uh, yeah, you're from Pennsylvania. You're used to the snow and the mountains. Yeah. And... <laughs> yes. Damn it. That's all we get here. That's all we get. Here. Sadness, gray, <laughs> and sadness. <laughs> all right, Mark. You want to move on to the next uh, bunch of questions? Yeah, uh, from uh, Kieran. He wants to know what you think of the Hunter video games. Have you played them? Seen them? I I have. I've played them. Um, I like them. They were different, obviously, from. The role-playing game. That's not a bad thing, though, by the way. I don't necessarily think that different media properties need to be of the exact same flavor. While I might have liked them to be, I actually thought the Hunter games were pretty fun. They were their own little creature and, you know, reflected enough that um, I, I, I enjoyed the Easter eggs. Cool. Um, and our last, uh, our last three come from Smiling Jack. Mm. Um, he wants to know, what, who, what or who is your favorite Hunter-like character in movies? Um, or books, or video games. And he says, you can feel free to combine the questions if you have one that is far and away the, the best. 
who is my favorite hunter-like character in movies and whatever? Yeah. Um, man, that's a tough one, isn't it? Mm. Hunter-like characters. Um, obviously, you look at a movie like Van Helsing and you just feel sad. Uh, <laughs> so it can't be something like that. That's just no good. What was wrong with that movie? Oh, that's a different question, different time. <laughs> a, yeah. What wasn't wrong with that movie is more... That would take a shorter amount of time. Um, well, you know, I know it sounds strange, but I always like the uh, movie Frailty Ooh, yeah. for my, my hunter feel, um, both for Reckoning and for, like, a first-tier vigil game, because it's like, you this dude seems like he's nuts, but he has the truth. He's, like, really, like, he's crazy, but he's not actually crazy, and that, to me, is, like, the the emblematic hunter condition. Like, you, you must feel crazy, and people must think you're crazy, but you know a deep and secret horrifying truth about the world. Awesome. Cool. Um, what's your favorite hunter organization uh, first, which is, you know, which is the coolest, and second, which do you most identify with? Oh, man. I most identify with the Union. Uh, I just like... I, w- I always say that Hunter is a um, blue-collar version of Mage. Like, Mage is the academic hoity-toity, you know, a lofty thinker. I mean, if you play Mage, like, you're like, well, let's think about things for a while. And sometimes you have moments yeah. at the game table where you're just like, it's time to think about shit, everybody. Like, let's just yeah, all yeah. <laughs> sit down and hunker and think. But Hunter is just like, let's hit, well, hit, hit the Mage with a pipe. Hit him in the head with a pipe. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I call my imp and then I hit him with a pipe. It's like very, it's very blue collar, and the union, you know, really um, embodies that that kind of blue collar spirit. And coming from kind of a blue collar family, and um, you know, family of farmers, family of miners, you sort of get that that I, I like that feel. I like that you know, a bunch of people just sort of banding together in the darkness, you know, to fight the monsters. That's pretty cool. Um, which is my favorite, though? I don't know. I mean, the, the Lucifuge always does so much for me as far as every time I read them, I'm like, oh, I could tell a thousand stories with these guys, right? Um, I will give points to the new, um, the Paterfamilias, the uh, the, the uh, Requiem for Rome uh, essay yeah. by Wood Ingham, because that has the Avis Minerva, were mentioned in Vigil, but not given a lot of uh, full spread. The the Canites the um, who are in Night Stalkers kind of have theoretically evolved from the Avis Minerva. Um, so, but it's nice because the PDF actually gives you that that background on them and gives them as a playable hunter group. So that's pretty cool. Okay. And uh, finally, um, because the Master of Hunters ought to know this, if anyone does, how do you shoot a zombie ant in the head? <laughs> um, <laughs> with uh, dragon's breath rounds. Yeah. <laughs> dragon's breath rounds. Wow. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Okay, well, that'll wrap up the questions. And now, the best part, go to random questions. Do, 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 do. I have two random questions for you tonight, Chuck. Are you ready? Dude, I'm ready. Bring that it was, on. That was question one. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so easy. What the fuck? <laughs> no, question one would be, if you could employ Mr. Rob Zombie in your writing crew, would you? And how do you think he would do as a writer for Hunterline? You know, I don't know that I would. I don't mean to slag the guy, because no, like, no. I kind of like his music. But I haven't really... I mean, I've liked one or two things that he's done, but in general, I kind of feel like he's... He's almost gone that like Tarantino route. Like I like these '70s movies, so I will now make them exactly. And it's like, then he's got to infuse all his kind of crazy clown <laughs> motif and everything. And it's like, ah. And then he kind of ruined Halloween. And it's like, how do you ruin Halloween? That's not nice. 
Oh. They worked, those movies worked already. I mean, obviously, half of them were garbage, but don't make new garbage. Stop that. Uh, so I might not let him take Hunter because it just feels like he just sort of like dick that up a little bit. I might give him something like Geist, though, because Geist has sort of a weird... There's like a low, colorful vibe to it, like kind of an over-the-top edge to some of those like dark, bleary, labyrinthine passages, and I think he could maybe handle that. I was just curious because his uh, he's stepping into the comic book industry now and writing Baron Van Sch- Baron Van Schock, so I wanted to see what you would think mm. about. Thank God. <laughs> and the last question is the one I asked for Mr. Eddie Webb was if you could be a porn star, what would be your name and why? <laughs> oh my God, um, I have I have used the um, the porn name Misty Meadows in the past or Misty Mountains. You could go either of those. If I was going to be a woman porn star, I mean, and since we're dreaming, I might as well be a female porn star because, come on, guy porn stars don't get paid anything from what I understand. Misty Mountains. There you go. Interesting. Cool. Or Buck Hunter. Buck Hunter. <laughs> we could, that way I can get a Hunter plug in there and also be a porn uh, star. See? I, wow. Nice. Sly marketing. Yeah. What did Eddie say? I missed that one. I don't remember what he said. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I can't remember. I know he answered the question and laughed hysterical about it, and he had some answer that was much like the iPhone or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Mark, do you have any last questions or comments? Uh, only th- while we've been having this conversation, I've received um, uh, Skype spam inviting me to sign up to a sexy dating service. I just got that. Did you? There are over 7 million members on Star. It's just, what the hell? So I'd like to know why I'm getting that. But other than that, no, I'm I'm good. I didn't get that. No, you You can't join sexy dating. No, sorry, Vince. (laughs) None of us are sexy enough, guys. I'm sorry. Well, um, so to wrap things up, Chuck, do you have anything you want to plug? Your website, your blog, anything? Um, The website and the blog are uh, together as one, like Voltron. Uh, so yeah, www.terribleminds.com T-E-R-R-I-B-L-E-M-I-N-D-S dot com uh, I did a whole like revamp of that site so you should come and look at it and throw things at it And uh, how's painting okay. with shotguns going? How's what's that? Painting with shotguns uh, that, That's like a part of the blog and I do it weekly but it's um, good, fine You know, um, I do work updates there and talk about all the different kinds of nonsense I'm working on Nonsense <laughs> yes, much, much nonsense. And how could someone get in contact with you other than going to the blog? Do you have a public email address or just go straight to the blog and click uh, The blog now actually has an official contact page, which it oh. did not before, so that that is probably your most forthright way of uh, finding me without me having to read off a complicated email address and you having to spell my last name, which no one can do. So, No one can spell your last just, name? No, it's always wing-ding and wang-dang, wang-o-dang, wedding. <laughs> it's just a... It's an abortion of a name that people try to spell. The government will never find me. If I ever, if I ever like, want to like screw up my taxes and just be like, screw you, taxes, they, they will never find me because they'll track down like Chaz Wang Dang and they'll never find that guy and I'll just be living where I've always lived, just like giving them the finger from the window. You, like, mm-hmm. There probably is a Chaz Wang Dang who will just be like, curse you. <laughs> you, you, do, you do know, you do know the right. IRS is listening to this, right? Well, but they still won't get it right. It doesn't matter. Well, Big Brother White Wolf is, so. <laughs> well, yeah. They have to make sure we uh, stay in line. Oh, did I say that, Mark? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. 
that'll be the put a lid on the uh, coffin and nail it in for episode number 18 for the Darker Days podcast. Darker Days. What? (laughs) Have a good week, folks.